Our reading uh, for today is from Genesis chapter 24, uh, verses 1 to 28. Isaac and Rebekah. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant of his household, the one in, in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I take... Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant gave his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking him all kinds of good things from his master. Then he set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today, and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that I say to a girl, Please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, Drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, no man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely, learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring, weighing a becker, and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, 
the son of Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord had led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Good morning, friends. How are we doing? This is the longest uh, passage or the longest chapter in all of Genesis and in a master stroke of scheduling, we've given ourselves the least amount of time all year to preach it. So, good job by us. But as an old minister of mine used to say, uh, make him laugh, make him cry, and in 19 minutes, say goodbye. Might want to test him on a few of those points, but let's try and do that this morning, team. All right, so uh, I'm going to tell the story of the whole chapter. We just had the reading of the first 28 verses, but I'm going to run through it. And again, just because we don't have heaps of time this morning with our annual congregational meeting, uh, I'm going to draw some good lessons that we can take away from it. But unfortunately, we probably won't go as deep as we normally would, but that's what growth groups are for. I encourage you to get involved in one of them if you're not already. Alright, so we're familiar with the idea of boy meets girl. It's one of our most famous stories ever. That's right, I went with the BBC version, not the Kira Knightley version. I know for some of you that's a, that's a real deal breaker. Uh, we, we've even got lots of stories where incredibly wealthy boy meets girl. In fact, we've got lots of stories where we've got incredibly wealthy boy from a foreign land comes and meets regular girl. Alright? But, have you ever heard the one of the servant with a camel meets girl? Alright? Even more specifically, the one where a father sends the servant to get the girl for the boy as long as she's from the same family and is willing to come back and live with them in their homeland. Maybe not the Netflix tagline, but you kind of get the idea, right? But the thing is, is this really a love story? Like Rebecca and Isaac is kind of one of those most famous ones, and there is kind of a love story element to it, but who do we follow? We follow the servant. He's the one who we actually start with, go out with, come back with, and it's in the servant that we're going to find, I think, the best lessons for us to take away from this passage. So, let's get to it. Uh, I'm going to put some verses up there. I won't talk to all of them, but it'll give you the shape of how we're working through it. Abraham is old and advanced in years, and he calls uh, one of his chief servants, and he says to them, put your hand under my thigh and swear to me this. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody said, put my hand under their thigh to make an oath, I would assume one thing, that this, this must be serious, because why would you ask this unless it was serious, right? Nobody says, put your hand under my thigh, promise me you'll get me some milk later, all right? This, this must be a serious thing that he is asking him to do. And even that phrase, under your thigh, it's probably worse than what you think it is. But, this is a serious oath that he is making. And the oath that he wants him to make is to go and find a wife for his son, Isaac. And he wants him to find him a wife from his own people. Now, is that because he had something against the Canaanites that he was living with? No, he's gone pretty good terms with those guys. It's not necessarily something against the Canaanites. It's more, it seems, that Abraham, knowing that this bride of Isaac is going to be the one that continues on the promises that God has given to Abraham to to make a great people, is going to be somebody who's in the promised line of God. 
And so it makes sense to go to somebody who has an idea about who God is already as opposed to one of the pagan nations around it. And that seems to be the idea. It doesn't say that specifically, but certainly we're going to see that Rebecca's family has some conception of who God is. So the servant, knowing that this is kind of a crazy thing to go and do, to, to travel you know, kilometers and kilometers away, days and days journey, and then find the right girl and then be able to bring her back, has a question. He says, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. All right, that, That's his big thing. But he does also say to him, like, don't worry about this. God's got angels. Uh, he's going to be with you. He's going to take care of this thing. But... If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. Okay, so the, so the servant, he's, he's very clear on this idea that you're not to take Isaac back there. You've got to bring the girl here. But if it doesn't work out, you are released from this under the thigh oath. Alright, so the servant now understanding what the deal is, what his job is, he sets off for this northern part of this area of the world where Abram came from originally. He takes with him like 10 camels, which is the equivalent of like taking like a fleet of Mercedes to go find this bride. And he gets to a well, and everyone, they're tired, they've been traveling for a while, it's the end of a long day, alright? And the thing is that wells in the Old Testament, don't know if you know this or not, but they're basically like the pubs of the Old Testament. If people aren't getting in fights at the well they're hooking up and meeting future spouses at the well. Alright? The servant is going to find Rebecca here. Jacob and Rachel later on are going to meet at a well. Moses finds his wife at a well. Jesus meets a woman at the well and everyone's like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Okay, they kind of play against that idea there. So so wells, right? They're exciting places to be in the Old Testament. Alright? And so he goes there at the end of this long day and he knows that there's going to be, you know, a woman coming along. They, they, they didn't need dating apps back then, okay? Like Christian dating apps or anything like that. And in fact, any young entrepreneur and Christians out there, just saying, a Christian dating app called The Well, it's an idea, all right? Run with it. But basically, he goes to The Well because he knows this is where the young women are going to come to. And sure enough, as he waits there with his camels, uh, uh, he, he, he's getting ready and that sort of stuff. And the young women are going to start to come. But before they do, he prays this prayer. And it's really interesting because there's some keys here as to how he sees what his mission is all about. It says, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now on one level here, he is praying for his own success. Right? He says, give me success today. But his real concern is that his master's desire would be fulfilled. The prayer is sort of bookended by this idea of the servant wanting to see the master's desire fulfilled. That is his concern. He does want his own mission to be successful, but because he wants the master's plans to come to pass. That, that's what's driving him in this. And even before he finishes praying, 
Okay, Rebecca comes along. Now she is everything that an ancient Near Eastern boy could have hoped for. She's pretty, she's a virgin, she says that she's never laid with anyone, she's carrying water along, she's serving faithfully, she is, she is the picture of, wow, this is great. And we, the audience, are told, as we read this, that she is also from Abraham's family. We know she's the one before the servant does. But for him in the story, he watches as he says, can I have some water? And she says, of course. I'm paraphrasing here. She says, and also, uh, I'm going to feed your, or I'm going to water your camels as well. Big deal, 10 camels. That would have taken a while. It's not like she's like, one for you, one for you. And it's, it's, it's more than that. Okay? And of course, this is in line with what the servant has prayed for. This is the sign that he was hoping for and looking for that God has now revealed to him Okay, that man, this girl could certainly be it, but he's got to ask the question, right? Uh, from whose family do you come from? Okay, and when when he learns that she is from Abraham's family, he gives praise. But again, notice what he gives praise for. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me. The Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The servant is framing his mission in two ways here. He's saying again, it's all about the Lord showing kindness to my master. My master's desires being met. He's the one that sent me on this mission. He's the one that I'm concerned for. And he's mindful of what this means for him. But again, he sees the Lord as the one who is actually in control of this. The Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. He's concerned about this being the mission that his master has sent him on and having his master's desires fulfilled. And he's been praying and hoping that the Lord would be the one that would guide him through this journey and mission that he has been sent on. Now, Rebecca, upon uh, her being gifted by the servant, he's giving uh, you know a nose ring. It's a decent sized nose ring, like six grams. That's kind of a weighty piece of jewelry. Uh, bracelets worth you know about a hundred grams each. Like you know these are weighty items of jewelry that he gives to her, and she she runs off uh, wearing the jewelry, heads back home, and tells her family uh, what has happened. Uh, now they're all very excited about this. Okay, her brother in particular named Laban. Now Laban is a guy that we're going to uh, spend a bunch more time with. Uh, when we come back to Genesis in term three later this year, he's he's a super fun, super uh, devious character uh, that we'll have some fun with later on. And you get a hint of that here, actually, because he runs out and he sort of sees his sister, but then the text also tells us that he sees the jewelry that's upon her and this dude who's standing by the Mercedes, the camels. All right? He's very focused on the things uh, that come along with this person. And so he's, you know, ble- you know can't, can't come to our place, blessed of the Lord. No? Which shows two things. One, he likes the blessings, but also he frames it in terms of the Lord. Laban does know something of God. And so the servant goes into the house. They lay out a big feast for him, but the servant understands his job. He knows what he's there for first and foremost. Before he's willing to eat, he says, no, no, let me tell you about what's happened here. Runs through the whole story again, including the prayer that he's made to explain to these guys that it's God who's brought him to this place. 
And Laban and Bethuel have a, have a good response to this news. The, the, the servant says, now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, again, framing it in terms of his master's desire being met, uh, and if not, tell me so I may know which way to turn. So basically, he's putting it to him, which way is this going to go? Are you, are you going to agree that the Lord is in this, and, and that's what we're going to do? Or, you know, if it's not, you've got to let me know, because I've got to get out of here. But they say, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. Two things on this. One, this is a pretty good response, okay, from the perspective of these guys understanding that the Lord is in this. There's a real sense here where it's like, what, how, how can we argue with this offer that you're putting forward because God is clearly in this? There's a sense here in which they sort of say, you know, this, our, our concern here is secondary to what the Lord is wanting to do. Now, we've already seen Laban's keenness to have this wealthy guy become part of their family, so I'm not suggesting there couldn't be some mixed motives here, but their response is framed in terms of this is what the Lord is doing, and so we're going to go with that. There's a recognition from those whom the servant makes the offer to that God is in this, and so they they simply have to go with it. Now, interestingly... Okay, I think that it's worth pointing out here that we have another woman here in, in these Genesis narratives where men are kind of deciding her fate. And I just want to comment on this briefly because I know that it sort of jumps out for us in, in these times and it's worth thinking about. We've seen Sarah, Abraham's wife, be mistreated on multiple occasions with a man deciding her sexual and relational fate where she's been put in these dangerous and sinful situations. That's not what's happening here. Okay, They're not leading her into adultery. They're not putting her in danger. If anything, this is the absolute best situation that these men could have been hoping for for one of their female relatives at the time. But at the same time, it, it still jumps out to us that her agency, her choice in this is, is limited. Now, in just a few verses, right, when there's a question about how quickly this is all going to happen, she does have a say of sorts. But it's still worth recognizing that, yeah, her options were limited. And it's also good to recognize that the Bible's not actually necessarily saying this is the way it's meant to be. It's certainly telling us this is how it happened. But we've always got to be careful with these things that we don't sort of read in that because the Bible describes this is what's happening, that's exactly how it's meant to happen now or something like that. That's, I'm, I'm not answering the questions that that brings up, but I think it's something good for us to recognize and think about and take further if you'd like to. So, back to the story. The servant has made his offer They've recognized that God is in this, and now we're going to party. So they have this big feast and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and it looks like, you know, ordinarily in this sort of context, this, this feast could go on for quite some time. But the very next morning, the servant wakes up, and, uh, you know, he's given them gifts and all that sort of stuff. We're, we're, we've done all that sort of things, but now he's like, guys, I've got to go. Alright? Um, send me on my way to my master. And they, Laban's, uh, sorry, Rebecca's family, they're like, whoa, well, hold on, just, just let us stay for a bit. Now, in your Bible, it probably says something like 10 days, like it does here or something. The Hebrew is actually a little bit ambiguous. It could have been a lot longer time period. We're not totally sure. But either way, it's kind of a significant delay. But, but even still, we're not 100% sure why the servant wants to take Rebecca and get out of there straight away. Text just doesn't tell us. But either way, he's like, no, no, the 
the Lord has revealed his will. Well, I, I, I want to get out of here and get back to my master. Family's like, hold up. He's like, no, no, let's not delay what God wants. And they say, well, let's go and ask Rebecca, will you go with this man? And she says, I will go. Again, the question doesn't seem to be, will she go at all, but rather, will she go right now? And her willingness is to indeed go. And so they send her off with a blessing that very much fits with the blessing that's been given to Abraham about what's going to happen with his family that Rebecca is now marrying into. They say, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. I find it really interesting that, that back then they were thinking in terms of uh, their offspring becoming thousands and thousands. Like that Maybe they knew something about the Abrahamic promises. Maybe. Okay, we're not told that they do necessarily. But it's interesting that back then, that, that's just how we think. Normally, um, this isn't a, a typical blessing that we pronounce on marriages today, right? We, we don't normally, when people come together, we're like, hey, may you guys have thousands of kids. That would freak people out. But this is the, the way that they were thinking. But either way, it lines up really, really well with the Abrahamic blessing. And so, uh, the servant takes her back home. She sees him at a distance. She veils up. They come together. Uh, and Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now you, you can you can see why this you know gets counted among the classic love stories, right? It ends with a wedding. But as we've seen, that's not really what the focus has, has really been about here. It's been about the servant and his journey. And so I just want to quickly take us through some quick ideas that we can grab from this passage to think about how we as servants today can still live for the Lord. So we talk about this a lot with these Old Testament passages. We want to think about in terms of what are the themes, the words, the the types, the symbols that sort of point towards Jesus to help us understand what these passages are doing as far as understanding the work of Christ. So we think about this passage and what do we got? We got Isaac, okay, the promised son who's who's already been through a, a figurative death and resurrection. Alright, so there's some Jesus parallels between Isaac and Jesus. But we've also got some parallels between the servant and Jesus because in the gospel the father sends the son into the world in order that he might bring back a bride to be part of God's family. So there's some parallels there with what's happening. And of course, the, the bride of Christ is a big idea that I'll, I'll show you this one verse in, in a minute here, but we've got that kind of idea. Whenever we see a bride and a groom in Scripture, that's often something that should cause us to think about Jesus and the church as well. But the big one that I want to think of here, because we've got Father Abraham, and because we've got the son Isaac, I think that the role of the servant is one that we should naturally kind of start to see ourselves fitting in to. Because it's a really common thing in the New Testament for us to be described as the servants of the Lord. That's often how the apostles themselves describe themselves. That, that's what we are. We're servants of the Lord. And so when we start to frame it in, in those terms, it's like, is this, can we find anything in the New Testament that suggests that our job as servants of God is actually to get, you know, ready a bride for Jesus? And it turns out that we've got at least a couple of verses that point that way. I'll just, I'm just going to give you one. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you're already doing that. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, 
so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Paul saw his ministry of proclaiming the gospel and teaching it to these people in terms of him preparing the bride, the church, for Jesus. Okay, this is a strong theme in the New Testament. That Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And Paul sees what he's doing in terms of preparing the bride for the groom. And so there's a sense here which when, when we teach and encourage one another from the scriptures and certainly when we share the gospel with people who are outside of God's family, that there's a sense in which we are preparing them to become brides for Christ, to become part of the bride of Christ, but even in the maturing work that we do here, teaching each other the gospel as Paul is to the Corinthian church. And so there's something here for us to recognize that just as God sent the Son into the world to bring back a bride for himself, so too God still sends servants into the world to bring back brides into Christ's family. And so we work on the foundation already laid by Jesus. He was the one who came into this world, who took our place, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead to make it possible for us to become part of the bride. But now we are the ones who are sent forth to make that offer to people everywhere to become part of the bride of Christ. And I've just got three things that the servant does in this passage for us to think about. So I didn't put them up on the slide. You'll just have to listen out for all my faithful note takers. Uh, But three things that we see this faithful servant doing to help us think about how we still can bring people into being part of Christ's bride. The first one is that his overarching concern and everything he's doing is for the master's desire to be fulfilled. He is not going out there to win a bride for Isaac for his own glory. He wants to be successful in it, but not for himself, but for the sake of the one who sent him. There's no sense in which he's doing this to prove himself as an awesome servant. There's no sense that he's doing this because this is he needs to validate himself with the other servants or the other people in Abraham's household. Okay, He's doing this because he wants to see his master's will fulfilled. That's what drives him. It's what frames his prayer. It's how he rejoices in the Lord when the things come to pass that he is hoping for. Praise be to God that he has not withheld kindness from my master. And so there's a sense here, when we go out to tell people about Jesus, to teach the gospel, to see people prepared as the bride of Christ, that we're doing so for the sake of the Master. We're doing so for the sake of the one who sent us, not for ourselves. Second thing is that he does so prayerfully. He understands that God needs to be in this if his mission is going to be fulfilled. He gets to the well. He's strategic. He goes to the place where the young girls are going to be. He's going to the pub where he knows that's the best place to find a bride in the Old Testament. He's thinking about where he's going, but when he gets there, he prays. Because he knows that no matter how wise he can be, if the Lord's not in it, this isn't going to come to pass. So he prays. He asks God to be in it in this mission that he's on. And the third thing is that he does so understanding what his responsibility is and what's beyond him. Remember what he asked Abraham at the start of the passage? What if she won't come? And Abraham's response was, she's going to come, but even if she doesn't, you make the offer and if she doesn't come, you're released from this oath. 
And I don't want to push this too far, but we see this again in the New Testament. There's a strong sense that for us today, as people who talk about Jesus, it's not our job to make somebody part of the Bride of Christ. It's our job to extend the offer that Jesus gives to everyone through what he has done on the cross. I can't smack somebody across the face with the Bible and drag him back to church. That's illegal. But I can offer and tell them about everything that Jesus has done. And I can pray that God would move in their heart. And I would hope that like Laban and Bethuel, they recognize that the Lord is in this. And they decide to come and be married to the master's son. That, that's the way that this is meant to work. And there's great freedom in that. Just like the servant was nervous about the idea of going out there, okay, when he knew that there was a chance that this mission might not work. So too, we can get really nervous when we go and tell people about Jesus, what if it doesn't work? That's okay. It's our job to be, to be wise, go to a place where it might work, and it's our job to make the offer to tell them about what the Lord has done. But if at that point they say no, that's, that's not on us. If the Lord's not in it, then, then we move on to the next person and make the next offer. That's a quick, short way to look at this passage. Like I said, it's the longest one in all of Genesis. We've, we've just skated over the surface in some ways. I hope you've had a chance to talk longer about it in growth group. But I'm going to pray now that we would be faithful servants. That we would be about the master's business. That we'd do so prayerfully. And that we'd be willing to preach and proclaim and let the Lord be in it, if you will. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you sent Jesus into this world and thank you so much that you send us still to go and proclaim about all that you have done. And we pray, Father, that we would be about your glory and about your desire and that as we do that, that we would pray and ask for you to be in all that we do when we teach about Jesus. And we pray, Father, that people would respond and believe, but we pray, Father, that we would work in the freedom of knowing that it's our job to preach and proclaim, but that whether somebody becomes part of your kingdom or not is up to you. And that, Lord, we would know the great freedom that we have in that. And we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.